Episode 2, The Photon Podcast. Outdoor operations, field day, batteries, solar, and more coming up. AmateurRadio15.com presents Photime, the other ham radio podcast, sponsored by Main Trading Company. Find them online at mtcradio.com. Now, here's your host, Kale Nelson, K4CDN. It is the Photime Podcast, sponsored by Main Trading Company, mtcradio.com. My friends from Paris, Texas, you call them. You'll buy from them. There's some great folks with some great prices and a lot of great ham gear. A lot of greats in that sentence, but they are. So make sure you check them out, mtcradio.com. This is episode number two. Going to be kind of exciting. We're going to talk about field day. We know we've got it in a very, very short amount of time. It'll be here with us. We're going to discuss field day, battery operations, outdoor operations, and some further things along those lines with Jeremy, Kilo Foxtrot 7, Indigo Juliet Z. We'll get to that in just a couple of minutes. But first, we've got a call on the phone line. Uh, yes, this is AE5JU. Uh, after uh, Katrina and Rita started niggling on me that I needed to do something about communications because phones were down due to just everything. You know, just the whole area was just run over by, by you just just raked clean by, by these two hurricanes. And then uh, I've, been, I've been involved in electronics since a kid. I built crystal radios and all that kind of stuff and built a couple shortwave kits and uh, mostly stereo gear, Heath kit stereo gear and stuff like that. And I'd long wanted to get involved in ham radio, just didn't have the money or the Back then, and in the 60s, I didn't have, know how how to go about getting a license, and there was no internet to look things up on, and so it it, it just kind of passed by me for quite a few years. And then, um, like I said these two hurricanes, and then um, a few years later, um, uh, Ike and Gustav. And uh, after that, I said, okay, enough is enough. I found out that our local government doesn't have communications out of the out of the county. When my wife discovered one of our friends who's a deputy putting on his waders to wade wade down the highway that was underwater for several hundred yards to pick up a, a, a satellite phone from another deputy across the water there where we were blocked in. I said, well, it's time for me to do it myself. You know, uh, I checked in with some ham friends and uh, found out gladly I didn't need to learn code now. They gave me study materials and told me how to go about it. And how, uh, through some miracles, I found a place to get tested. And, I mean, things just fell in place for me. Bing, bang, boom. I got licensed, passed. Tech, uh, general, and extra all in one sitting. And here I am today, finally. And it was about time I needed to do this. I joined the local club, and uh, they were just great to me, took me in like family. I'm the vice president now. We do emergency preparedness. That's what we do. So anyway, 73, this is AE5JU clear. Hey guys, up on episode number two here on the Photon Podcast, got a, uh, a new guest with us. His name is Jeremy Kilo Foxtrot 7, India Juliet Z, as he likes to say. Jeremy, thanks and welcome to the Photon Podcast. Hey, Kale, thanks very much for having me. And uh, you got to give me a little slack on the Z thing because I just got sick and tired of people thinking my call sign was KF7IJC. And yeah, uh, yeah. the way I, I remember it is I judge zombies. 
I judge. <laughs> there you go. The uh, the dead judge. Judge dead. <laughs> we could change it. Judge. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you'd probably do a better job than Stallone. Hey, uh, <laughs> again, welcome <laughs> into the Photon Podcast. It's episode number two. I really hope this is better than episode one Star Wars and episode two Star Wars. Uh, both were dramatic, huge disappointments for me. And I, I <laughs> no, can't I'm, even I can't say that I'm looking forward to episode seven either. I'm afraid they're going to screw it up again. Oh, they probably will. Just look at what they yeah. did to Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hey, uh, we didn't uh, necessarily come around to chat about um, Star Wars, but we do have some cool things to talk about. And uh, guys, Jeremy has got a really cool YouTube website and uh, a lot of followers out there. And you can find him on YouTube at his call sign. Is that correct, Jeremy? Yep. If you go to YouTube and you just search for KF7IJZ, you'll find my uh, my channel. Um, I've been doing videos now for, I don't know, I feel like it, <clears throat> excuse me, it's been a little less than two years. Um, I just started putting stuff out there. There's a, there's a ham that goes by the call of WG0AT, um, WGOAT, and uh, I really liked the soda videos he used to do, and his call sign was that because he has a couple of goats that used to follow him around. He doesn't do many videos anymore, but uh, Steve is still uh, very active in the ham community. And, um, but he really inspired me to start, uh, start doing videos on YouTube. And I think actually it's, YouTube is probably one of the best places you can go for, for doing product research. And I, I know as a ham in my relatively short career, it's been a great place for me to go to find information about radios, uh, antenna designs and seeing what other things people are out there playing with. Right. And you do more than just ham radio. You do a lot about solar as well. Is that correct? Yeah, I do, and actually, um, the majority of what I do with solar actually is driven by by ham radio. So, um, I've had my license now, I think, for nearly five years, something like that. Um, I originally got started with amateur radio because it's something as a as a young man, uh, I really wanted to do. My my best friend's dad was KA4ROS um, in Kentucky. And I always really liked the stuff that him and, and my friend did with radio, but I didn't really have an opportunity, you know. My parents weren't technical, um, you know, equipment was expensive, there wasn't a lot of money going around, so it was always there in the back of my mind. And when I get, uh, one day uh, before my wife and I left Kentucky, we, uh, <laughs> I was sitting there, I realized, hey, I'm an adult now, I, I can do ham radio. And, <laughs> and I think the thing that really drove me into uh, into wanting to get into it was kind of a lot of the things I think a lot of the, the listeners um, could get into is it was an initially uh, an interest in being able to participate in and provide com uh, emergency communications either from the perspective of um, you know what happens if uh, the grid goes down and you know or whatever you want to call that all the way through uh, actually being involved in community service um, so I got my license the reason I have a seven call sign is I got my license uh, at the Puyallup Ham Fest in Puyallup, Washington, uh, a few years ago, when my wife and I were in Seattle, and uh, didn't—I pretty much stayed at Tech for a while. And uh, after we moved to the DC area, I upgraded to General, and I got really excited about HF. But um, I live in an apartment, and I'm sure you can imagine the challenges an HF operator has in an apartment. That could be a whole—that could be a program unto itself. <laughs> yeah, it can, and unfortunately. I've had a million hams tell me, oh, operating out of an apartment's so easy, you do a stealth antenna, you load your dryer vent, you throw an antenna through the <laughs> conduit into your neighbor's bathtub, and you run water, and you ground, blah, 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 blah. And I think all that stuff is great, and you're right, you absolutely could do a show on that. But my problem is, um, <laughs> I live really near to Metro Tracks. 
Mm. Um, I live very near to a building that has uh, an intelligence community component to it. And so the noise floor in and around my apartment is usually 40 over. Wow. So it doesn't matter how invisible my antenna is. Uh, every signal <laughs> coming through HF is invisible as well. Yeah, so you have to drive out to the country and, and go mobile to go HF. That's pretty much right. I mean, I, I ultimately, um, in order to play HF, I had to start going portable. And it started with, uh, you know, a Yaesu FT817, the, the wonderful and very uh, versatile QRP rig, um, and uh, a relatively rudimentary buddy pole setup. And I would drive to local parks and I would set up. And um, I would plug into my car's power or I would use, uh, you know, like a 7 amp hour gel cell or AGM battery like a lot of us have or have access to. Um, but as I found that I was operating portable, my desire to make more contacts got greater. Um, and I found that I had to start getting more creative from a power perspective, an antenna perspective, um, and even an operating perspective. Um, I actually have a really funny story about my portable operation, if I may. Absolutely. Go right ahead. So, um, for those of you who are not familiar with the Buddy Pole, the Buddy Pole is a freestanding compromised dipole kit. Um, the Buddy Pole Deluxe package comes with like a 13 foot tall tripod mast. And uh, in an effort to get it off the ground, and because I didn't have any guide kit, I actually installed this thing on the roof of my Jeep. And now the Jeep I have is a Jeep Patriot, so it, it's, a, it's a fixed roof, it's not soft. And I just basically bungeed the hell out of the the legs uh, to the, the the luggage rack, right? So you imagine this this teeny tiny Jeep with a 13 foot tall, you know, center supported dipole hanging off of it, right? <laughs> so apparently this concerned people who lived near or drove near the park and it, and it got the police called on me. <laughs> nice. That yeah, happens so to can... everybody that I hear operating in a park. They always get the cops called, man. Now it's, people don't understand what you're doing and, and you know, you look like you're hacking the whatevers, and people are afraid of what they don't understand, and so, well, we better call the police. Fortunately, one of the officers that responded knew exactly what I was doing and, you know, and went on his way, but uh, I still think that's funny. But that ends up driving me away from being in the city and driving out further and further in the country. And when you get further and further in the country and you have a long drive back, you got to be careful about the gas in your car. Um, maybe you don't want to load the backup with batteries, and so that started pushing me towards figuring out more efficient power systems, which ultimately led me to solar. Which ultimately led you to a very successful YouTube channel, and uh, a lot of knowledge, and a great knowledge base, and some really good friends in the solar industry as well, I understand. Yeah, we, uh, I, you know, I started, um, I started playing around with Goal Zero equipment, and uh, Goal Zero, especially at the time, was was pretty expensive, but they offered what I'll say was an easy-to-use option for folks who didn't know a lot about solar, and myself uh, being included at the time. Uh, all their stuff could connect together. You didn't have to worry about different connections. You didn't have to worry about calculating, you know, your traditional, um, you know, power requirements and whatnot. Because, again, it's all consumerized. It's meant to just plug in. About the only thing that was complicated was figuring out a way... Uh, to get power out of their power packs into a radio, which generally use some type of cigarette lighter adapter. Um, but as right. I played with it, um, I started discovering some stuff with their products that um, you know need a little bit of feedback on, and that put me in touch with uh, one of their their chief product engineers. And I had a, a pretty good relationship with them, um, getting to demo several products and give feedback on them. Um, and uh, and I really appreciate all the support they gave me because they definitely gave me a lot of stuff to do videos on in the beginning. Um, and because I kept doing more and more videos, it, it basically, um, a very good friend of mine who also was from RFCOM, 
uh, always told me that the best way to learn a subject was to teach it. And so I started doing videos as a way to kind of help share what I was learning as I was, as I was you know, doing research and things um, and trying to put together videos that made sense to help other people understand what I was doing. Uh, and that's gotten me noticed by a couple of other companies. Um, for instance, I, I, I get to do a little bit of work with PowerFilm um, unofficially and they provide, uh, they've provided me with some equipment that's really exciting that I'm going to get to use this coming field day and I used it last field day. Cool. Cool. And field day is a very important subject. We could, we could talk uh, an entire episode on that as well. And that's coming up really soon, June the 28th through the 29th of 2014. It's the annual field day, which probably will be a pretty big deal, I would imagine, with this being the centennial year celebration of uh, the ARRL. How are you going to uh, How are you going to participate in field day? Are you going to hang out with the club or you or do you do that or what, what are you looking to do um, uh, you sound like you're going to go out hang out in the woods and <coughs> throw a yo-yo in the tree so let's uh <laughs> let's figure that out what are you doing for field day man so uh traditionally i had done field day um with my club the alexandria radio club shout out to them w4hfh.net um and i only say that because it's actually a, a really pretty good club website we're fairly active um this year, the club's taking a little bit different approach to field day, and um, the club's trying to use its own equipment to get members familiar with it and not having us bring in our own setups. And because of that, um, I'm actually meeting up with a couple of other ARFCOMers um, from the Ham Forum, and uh, one of the guys owns a little bit of farmland way, way, way out. And um, we're going to take at least two radios. We're going to take about 250 to 500 watts of solar panels and some uh, lithium iron phosphate batteries I've been experimenting with and try to do the whole 24-hour thing purely off of our panels and uh, those batteries. Wow. Wow. So what, what type of classification will you have then for your, uh, your setup there? I think that'll technically make us a 2 Bravo. Okay. Okay. That's cool. I've got a great club as well, k4ii.com is the club site, and we have in the last few years set up in the basement of a, um, a local uh, gentleman's club. No, that's the wrong term. <laughs> uh, the Mason, I don't want to step on anybody's toes, it's the Mason, they have a nice, uh, nice facility with a, it's almost like a, um, what would put you in the mind of a church fellowship hall in the basement of their facility, mm -hmm. and they allow us to come in, which is nice because in the basement it is cooler. And uh, there's a nice doorway there. We can run the, the cabling in and out. Um, so that's how we'll be doing it here in the upstate of South Carolina. And I won't be able to really spend a whole lot of time over there. Unfortunately, I mentioned last episode, I've got a lot of kids. And with a lot of kids comes great responsibility, which you'll learn as you continue to have children. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, there'll be they'll, the, the trips to the country with the buddies and the batteries, solar panels will be less and less. But it's, it's, <laughs> it's well worth it. It's well worth it. But... Anyway, we're working on a trailer. Uh, I'm actually working on a trailer for the club as a, an income trailer, if if you will. So we're uh, we're working towards that. I picked it up today. They had the um, we had the air conditioning installed over the week this past week. Oh, that's and very that nice. was a great that was a great place to start. I told the guys if we're going to do it, let's do it right and and start since we're here in the upstate of South Carolina and it's already in the 90s now. There's no way that I can imagine any of us wanting to operate in an emergency situation in a trailer without some sort of air movement. So, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but back to your field day. Yours is going to be a lot more interesting than mine as I get to go up and help set up and then probably operate some, come home, be dad, 
maybe get it real early the next morning and operate in the dark and then help tear tear everything down. Tell us some more about what you and the guys uh, from ARFCOM are going to be doing up in the mountains, out on the out on the farm. Of course, I'm out on a farm right now, and my Great Pyrenees is about to drive me crazy out there barking. <laughs> but uh, I'm sorry, folks. It's, you know, when you listen to a podcast recorded by a guy on a farm in South Carolina, you kind of wind up with some of this stuff, you know, and that's why we call it faux time. All right, so, <laughs> Jeremy, tell us some more about uh, what kind of you, – you're going to take two rigs. What are you taking? You're taking an 897? You're taking a 7,000? What are you guys toting with you? Well, I'm going to be taking uh, an Elecraft KX3, and then I have the 100-watt amp for that, the KXPA100. And, um, wow. One of the things that's really nice about this is that for a modern radio, it has pretty much one of the lowest, if not the lowest, current draws um, on receive, which, you know, you look at an 897, an 857, um, or even a 7000, those radios are drawing about an amp just on receive, whereas the, the KX3 on receive is drawing about a quarter of an amp. Um, wow. Same thing if you're using an 817. Um, so we're going to be trying that, and this will actually be the first time um, that I've really tried using the KX3 in a contesting situation. Granted, field day is not a contest, um, hmm. but it does it does produce contest operating um, conditions. And actually, that, that's one thing that you know, even if you're not interested really in uh, in participating in field day per se, um, especially for new hams who don't have a lot of HF experience, field day, even if you don't want to talk to people, is a wonderful time to throw a random wire out your window, get your radio out and really start playing with those knobs, playing with the clarifier, playing with the RIT, playing with the, you know, the different filters and the DSP to truly get an understanding of how those tools help you dig signals out. It's, it's probably one of the most valuable exercises you can get because we could sit here all day long and tell you what they're supposed to do, but the minute you turn that knob and you, you hear that thing you didn't hear before, it, the light bulb really clicks. Right. So, hey, and um, you, you know, their their techs, you know, the, a lot of a lot of the new techs, they're like, oh, it's field day, I can't go play. Man, you got ten meter privileges, and and absolutely. ten is always hot on field day. Yep, and actually, uh, there's probably a good chance. Um, if I were a betting man, I'd say it'd probably be pretty good this year, just especially because there's been some incredible six meter activity here recently. I understand. Wow. Um, but yeah, so we're definitely going to have that, and then for the other rig, um, it's going to kind of be a rotation. I know. Uh, one of the guys have the uh, the U-Kit uh, Manpack QRP radio, and I can't remember the TJ42KBACD12348. <laughs> with the, with um, the big uh, big tower sticker on the top of it. Yeah, it, in fact, it may in fact have uh, have an unofficial uh, sticker on there that may be recognizable to some folks in the listening audience. <laughs> um, but uh, yep, we're gonna have that out there. Um, I got another buddy who's coming who's bringing um, a Kenwood. Um, 480 SAT, which is a wonderful radio. I actually sold it to him, and I regret. That's the only radio I've ever gotten rid of that I regret getting rid of. Because um, it was a Kenwood, gonna... bro. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's true. Um, but I'm a Kenwood bring... Kool-Aid drinker. Yeah. Ah, very good. Um, yeah, he's going to be bringing that out to uh, try to do some digital work. Um, you know, do some PSK 31, which is actually something on field day I have very little experience with because my club. Um, there never was really a lot of interest in trying to get digital up and working or people didn't understand how to do it. So uh, we're going to have that. Um, I know we're also going to have an IC7000 available to us um, from the property owner. Uh, and he also owns a KX3. So, you know, there'll be a few representative radios out there, but probably no more than two transmitters on the air at a time uh, just to ensure we're not interfering with each other. Now, do you, uh, do you tote your KX3 in one of the uh, Condor little deployment bags? The, the radio itself with all the accessories, um, 
this has actually been a long journey for me. Uh, I started out carrying it in, um, it was a, I'm trying to remember, an LA police gear bailout bag, the little one. Yeah. yeah. And then um, I then moved everything into a hazard for, um, they make two little tiny man purses. There's the, I think it's the Kato is the bigger of the two. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that was actually pretty cool because there's a big uh, map pocket in there, which was perfect for rolling up wire or coax. Um, you know, it didn't you know, squeeze it too much. And that was actually a really good setup. But with the, um, the KXPA, it's funny. I've been trying to design a field case for it where you basically show up, open the field case, have the radio and cantilever levers that come up, and then have the, the amplifier and your power source and everything in, in the case. Nice. Um, but right now, I'll be transporting it in some uh, Amazon.com boxes. <laughs> well, the reason I ask is because on the affiliate store we have on the Photon website, we have that highlighted uh, following uh, E.L. Cope's post about how well the little, the little bag from Condor works regarding the, uh, the, K, the K3 there. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, it works it's, great. That's way yeah, above my pay grade. <laughs> A lot of those tactical bags actually are... Uh, are really good for that stuff, and I, I love when folks um, come up with really you know interesting ham uses for stuff from other uh, other hobbies or other mindsets. Yeah, yeah. All right, so uh, you're going out with batteries and with panels. Tell us a little bit about the panels and the batteries you're going to be taking along with you. Okay, uh, at a minimum for panels, um, I was fortunate enough to get from Powerfilm um, two 120 watt uh, foldable panels. These panels were actually originally made for uh, the United States military. And it was something that they, I believe, were pretty much selling uh, overruns and limited stock um, to, to folks on the market. And it, it's not that they're allowed to, it's just they didn't, I guess, know that there'd be a big, uh, a big desire to have them. But I know at Dayton this year, um, if you look at, uh, if you check out my YouTube channel, um, you'll see that um, they actually had quite a few for sale. In fact, they had, a, they had one um, completely unfolded hanging up. And uh, also on my channel, if you look at my field day video from last year, I got to use one. I draped it over the top of my portable Easy Up um, portable shelter. Um, and it was pretty cool. I think from a, from a power generation perspective, um, on a sunny day, it was definitely enough um, to carry me through. My, my shortcomings last year uh, were really around my battery system, which the battery box, which I also have a video about, um, was built on two 20 amp hour AGM batteries. And at the time, um, even though I had equipment to measure battery capacity and whatnot, I really took those manufacturer ratings to heart. Um, but I've since learned that really just as a general guide for hams, if you are using a lead acid battery, an AGM battery, um, if it says whatever amp hour, just as a quick reference, automatically cut that number in half um, in the best case scenario because wow. Remember, your radios want 13.8 volts plus or minus 15, which has you down to about 11.8. Well, at 12 volts, a lead-acid battery is about 50 to 60% depleted, um, and so you can't even really go much below, below and still expect your radio to perform. So that automatically cuts it in half. Um, but then another thing about lead-acid batteries, and this is why I ultimately moved away from them, the, more the faster, well, let's see, the more current you pull from the battery, the lower its capacity. That's something called the Pukert effect. Um, so if you're pulling uh, on average 16 amps on a 100, uh, 100 watt sideband transmission, um, your battery capacity overall is gonna be greatly reduced versus if you were only pulling say half an amp you know, throughout the duration. Wow, cool. So it's uh, LIPO batteries this year, is that right? 
Yeah, but specifically um, lithium iron phosphate. And ultimately, the, the lithium iron phosphate thing, they're a little bit more expensive, but they were easier to find in large capacities because these batteries are um, really popular in the do-it-yourself electric vehicle market. In fact, I stumbled across um, several forums dedicated to uh, making your own EVs. Um, and they introduced me to a brand of battery sold by a company called Elite Power Systems out of Arizona. And um, these battery packs were, are made by a company in China, but the, uh, as I understand it, the guy who runs Elite Power Systems uh, was very directly involved in the, the design and the manufacturing of these things. And so I have built um, a 40 amp hour pack, which I have actually tested um, drawing at 16 amps until the thing was depleted down to the minimum safe voltage. Um, and I actually got an honest 37 amp hours out of it, um, wow. which you absolutely cannot do with a lead acid battery. Hey guys, we'll be back in just a couple of minutes with Jeremy Kilo Foxtrot 7 India Juliet Z. Right here on the Photon Podcast. Stay tuned. Visit mtcradio.com today. A great one-stop mom-and-pop shop for everything ham radio. Radios, antennas, power supplies, wire and cable, books and training materials, microphones, headsets, and accessories. Find popular brands like MFJ, Heil Sound, Jetstream, LDG, Alinko, Comet, Texas Bugcatcher, Radio Waves, and more. mtcradio.com, an authorized Kenwood and ICOM dealer. mtcradio.com. Back on the Photon Podcast with Jeremy Kilo Foxtrot 7 India Juliet Z. Write that down and go to YouTube, type it in the search bar. Again, it's Kilo Foxtrot 7 India Juliet Z, and you'll find some really cool stuff. Some of the stuff we've touched on already here on the Photon Podcast. Jeremy, we really appreciate you being here for episode two and uh, enjoying the conversation about field day, solar, battery. And uh, going back to field day, uh, we, we all have our reasonings for doing it. Uh, you know, our clubs go, we go. What are, what, are the, what are the things you are looking to get out of field day this year? What, what, in addition to testing all the cool stuff we've already talked about, what are you really you looking know, forward to doing this year? You know, there's really two things I get out of field day. And number one is the most important. And honestly, it's an opportunity for camaraderie with other like-minded hams. Um, I really like uh, getting together with the, the guys I'm fortunate enough to have local here from ARFCOM. Um, I have really a bunch of smart guys, problem solvers, and guys who like to tinker with stuff. And I really like the ingenuity that comes out. I like the jokes. Uh, I like the food and the, the, the fellowship that we have. Um, and that's honestly, that's my favorite part about it, is getting together um, you know, with like-minded folks and getting to practice a, a craft that we all really enjoy. The other part about field day though for me is every year, um, and you can see this through my videos, I've been doing all solar field days now for uh, the last two years and every year my setup changes and I really like applying what I learned from the previous field day to the next field day so that my setup continues to improve. And I'm thinking at this point from a power perspective, I'm finally gonna have a good reference design um, for a power module. And I'm really loving the, the solar panels that I've got going from PowerFilm. But I think uh, this year I might have a setup that I'm good at, and it's going to be time to try to design a new system or double the requirements. Maybe I need a setup that can run two stations for an entire 24 hours. Um, what, but I, what, I really like learning. What type of uh, of weight, not that this is man portable or anything, just out of curiosity, uh, I, I can't see the pack here on the on the on the podcast. But and we'll have links to all of Jeremy's stuff in the show notes. Don't don't fret, folks. But 
Uh, just curious, what uh, what do these packs that you're building look like? What do they weigh in as? Can you give me some uh, comparable measurements or something? Yeah, I can. Um, I, I, I don't have the uh, specific weights handy, but I'll tell you what the pack itself looks like. So um, I start with an orange Pelican oh. 1430 top-loading case. I'm hurt. Um, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure you are. I don't orange. even know if they make this one in green, but... Uh, <laughs> No, I absolutely start with orange, and uh, actually my my scientific excuse for that, besides it being the fashionably correct emergency communications color, um, is uh, lighter. It's a little bit lighter color as far as sun goes. The green or black would would help the case heat up a little bit more if left outside. I don't know if that's actually accurate based on the chemistry of pelican cases, but we're going with that. Uh, orange forever. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a Pelican 1430 case. It's a top-loading case um, with a handle. Uh, it is not the one that has like the little uh, roller blade wheels and the little like luggage rack, like portable luggage. Uh -huh. um, and I found that it's the perfect uh, size to hold um, securely with the the foam, the 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 40 amp hour battery that I have in there right now, which is consistent of four cells. And I apologize, I didn't bother to look at the measurements before. Um, if you go to Elite Power Systems and look at their 40 amp hour um, pack, you can see it. But um, off the top of my head, I want to say it's about, I don't know, 10 inches tall by 4 inches deep by maybe 6.5 inches wide. So that's the power pack. The whole box, um, in addition to that, I have a, a plate that has a rig runner power distribution um, you know, uh, uh, widget box in there. I have a Genesun um, solar charge controller made for lithium iron phosphate batteries, and then I have uh, a power meter in there, something like a WhatsApp or a Doc Watson. Um, I'm right now using the West Mountain Radio um, power check, although I'm going to be getting rid of that in lieu of something that comes from an actual like uh, home solar company called Victron Energy, which is um, a much better uh, basically gas gauge for the battery. And mm. I would say um, the whole thing weighs in. For some reason, the number 14 pounds is sticking in my head, wow. which is is lighter. That entire setup is lighter than one of my 20 amp hour batteries. And I, and and Kale, I owe it to you and, and the listeners to to get back to you with some real specs that we can put in the show notes. Well, I, I'll tell you, I'm just I'm in shock and all. I've got a Plano 1612 ammo can with two 12 amp hour batteries in it that I've never weighed, but I can surely imagine it weighs every bit of 14 pounds. Oh, and at that's least. just two 12 amp hours that you just told me are actually six amp hours <laughs> yeah because I, I remember the shipping weight on the battery pack I, th I think was 10 pounds and then just assuming that the the pelican case and all the other little gadgets in there um like i said i think it, it's probably around 14 pounds but i when i get back home i'm uh, currently in north carolina on a on a work assignment but when i get back home i'll throw that on the the uh, the, the bathroom scale and, and get you a number but the point well, that, is is it is it is much 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 lighter than uh than my, my lead acid setup. And quite frankly, um, if you're handy with a little bit of aluminum or even taking an Alice pack, you could totally build a backpack power system. Because um, the foldable 120 watt panel from PowerFilm also, that only weighs seven pounds. So you could build a 120 watt solar power production plant to run a radio virtually indefinitely um, wow. you know, for under 25 pounds. If Harlequin's listen, he's gonna love that. Uh, that that's sick. Now tell me about the charging of these batteries, because you know the the AGM style batteries is pretty simple. You just leave them plugged in. But is the lithium is a, a little, you have to be a little more cautious with those. 
Yeah, you do, and uh, this is another reason why the lithium iron phosphate batteries are safer um, from a puncture perspective. If you blow a hole through the casing, they don't catastrophically fail. In other words, they don't catch on fire or explode. Um, same thing with overcharging. They don't catastrophically fail. In fact, what will happen if you overcharge these cells is they start to puff up, um, and then they have vents built into them. And when they do overcharge or they are physically compromised, they spew absolutely noxious, terrible-smelling uh, gas out of this vent. Um, there's actually several videos of YouTube on catastrophic failures of lithium <laughs> batteries, and it's it, it's quite entertaining. Wow. Um, so yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, um, I charge my battery. So the entire pack voltage, um, and this gives me about a 0.2 volt uh, headroom, but the entire pack voltage gets charged to 14.2 volts, which means I'm actually slightly undercharging the batteries overall. And and one thing I'll point out here is that. Lithium batteries absolutely need intelligent charge controlling. You can't just throw it on a power source and, and let it sit there. It can't just trickle charge. You absolutely have to have something that monitors um, basically voltage and current because uh, the charging cycle for these lithium iron phosphate batteries starts at a constant current state um, just to pump energy in. And as it gets closer to the magic 14.2 volts, um, the charge controller switches over to a constant voltage algorithm and then just applies till it gets up to 14.2 volts. Um, similarly, um, there is an undercharge um, voltage that you definitely don't want to go below because, you know, an, an, excuse me, a lead acid battery, you can over discharge it. You have a pretty good chance that you're going to be able to bring it back to life and it's not going to be permanently damaged. But a lithium ion battery um, or a lithium ion battery, any of those, you over discharge them and it's going to be better than even odds that you will have killed the cell. Now, fortunately, um, for radio purposes, considering you're not really discharging below 12 or 11.8 volts, because uh, again, our radio stopped working, um, you don't right. quite get to that that uh, that lower end. Awesome. Well, that, you know, there's a lot of concern about those newer batteries. And of, of course, uh, another concern would be the cost difference, you know, versus an AGM. But if you're getting those type of results, in the end, it would so far pay for itself especially in a, a field day situ or, or you're looking at some sort of emergency backup power or in case of an emergency that you, you know, you have a man pack or something, it would make total sense. I'm intrigued. And uh, so of course, actually my most recent video, um, the company that is pretty much the premier maker of lithium iron small cells, uh, A123 Systems, um, which I mean, very big player in the electric vehicle space. Um, and also, I think they were one of the, the companies that the government helped subsidize for a while. They went bankrupt and then split into a couple of different entities. Um, but they now manufacture consumer power modules that are meant to be replacements for UPS batteries or other things that required like that standard 7, 9 amp hour um, lead acid battery. And it's, yeah. it's the exact same physical size. Um, its rating is half what the lead acid battery is as far as what's on the package. It has all the battery management stuff. So in other words, you can charge these with a battery tender or your traditional trickle charger and all the circuitry to protect the lithium iron phosphate cells is in there. Um, but in my video, I compare that to a traditional lead acid battery and um, the performance results absolutely speak for themselves. But from a cost perspective, we're still not quite there that even given the fact that the battery can last um, two to four times as many discharge cycles. I mean, in the parameters I'm talking about, um, I'm told that these batteries could probably go through 3,000 charging and discharging cycles, if not more, whereas the, you know, the lead acid is probably 800 to 1,000. 
Um, but there's still, the, the, I do an analysis on the, the cost there and we're still not quite there. If, they, if those batteries, which are currently $125 a piece, dropped to $99, they would, you would absolutely have a cost savings in the long run. Right, right. Gotcha. Folks, we're talking with Jeremy. He's Kilo Foxtrot 7 India Juliet Z. And uh, he's sharing with us his thoughts on field day, operating solar and battery via field day, and uh, just general good knowledge here. Field day is coming up. It is June 28th and 29th. I believe it begins at 1,400 hours Eastern. Um, at least that's my understanding. That is correct. That, that would be uh, a time that I don't have in front of me Zulu. <laughs> it's plus five, right? So it'd be. Uh, you know, I, I, I was actually 19? worried. I was actually worried you were going to ask me that, so I'm, I'm glad you're the one. I, I totally know the answer. I'm just not going to tell you. Okay. Well, thanks. <laughs> hey, that's why I disclaimed the first episode. I'm not the smartest guy in ham radio, not even trying to be. I'm just trying to bring you some good information and, and make it entertaining as well. Field day, it, it is uh, – I don't think they've been doing it for 100 years. I would imagine that um, – I mean, I've got some photographs here from – some some very old photographs as i mentioned earlier i'm, I'm remodeling or, or actually building in a trailer for the local club here in, in the upstate of south carolina k4ii and uh found some old pictures of the guys and and they had they they were all wearing you know their pants were kind of up high you know and they all had ties and things on and these these um almost look like the styrofoam election hats from back in the day with the big k4ii call on them it was it's pretty comical. But, you know, I guess nowadays we, we walk around with our, our cargo shorts and T-shirts untucked and our our, um, our extra extra weight in the middle, so we look a little different. They probably would laugh at us. That's, that's why we've got a member that's 97-plus years old, and he's still eating sardines and kicking, and, you know, we're losing members that are 40 and 50 years old to heart attacks. Maybe that's, maybe that's got something to do with it. The ARL says that field day is a part educational event a part operating event, a public relations event, but it's all about fun. And the, the ones that I've been able to participate in have been a lot of fun. Uh, they've been with my local club. And, and two, you know, coming home from the local club set up and, and just having to be home around the house, I've been able to just sit, sit here in the shack and make some contacts. And just want to encourage folks, man, if you're really wanting to spend some time on HF, uh, maybe you're new, maybe maybe you don't even have a license yet, but you have a way to listen or to monitor the frequencies with a single sideband-capable shortwave radio, something like that. Uh, you would be surprised at how many folks are really out there wanting to talk to somebody. They say on the website there's going to be 35,000-plus operators, and if you can't make a contact with 35,000 available folks out there, you've got some problems. But uh, field day is a lot of fun. I want to encourage everybody uh, to take the time. Maybe maybe you've done field day in the past and you don't get along with your club anymore and you just, I'm not doing it. Just go turn your radio on, man. That's why we're in the hobby. We're in the hobby to spread goodwill. And you may not have a whole lot of goodwill, and that's okay. Just don't go up on 20 meters about 14, 13. <laughs> 13 but uh, <laughs> we'll leave that alone real quick. But, uh, yeah, Jeremy, I mean... You you've have you've done field day both ways. You've done it uh, with your club, and you've done it out in the field. And you know, it seems to me with all these uh, communications trailers and whatnot, there are a lot of clubs that actually go out and have a real field day on field day. 
And uh, it sounds like you guys are going to do that as well. Tell me some more about uh, what you are. You guys going to camp? Uh, how are you? How are your sleeping arrangements and uh, eating? Especially, you, you talked about food. You touched on food, I think, three times in one sentence. Uh, <laughs> so, so tell me, how are you guys going to eat? What's going to happen up there? Well, uh, let me actually go back to my club because I, I do want to point out that's one thing I always liked about uh, the Alexandria Radio Club is that our field day is a real field day. We actually um, we get the city to give us a park. Um, we're there for 24 hours. We run on our own solar or generator power, um, and there always was a challenge. We do have a club trailer, although we didn't have the forethought to put air conditioning in it. And uh, But we do have two uh, reliable, trusty box fans from 1972. <laughs> um, but, the, uh, you know, from the food perspective, that's one of the things that uh, me and the other guys, like, we've been a little bit slow to coordinate. We know where we have to be and what day we have to be at, but we haven't really figured that out. Now, um, the uh, property owner, like it actually is where he lives. So he has he has a wonderful house with a walkout basement and air conditioning. Um, we're going to be operating outside, but we'll have access to the creature comforts of air conditioning and running water. Um, but I think the intent is to try to go for all 24 hours. And um, as far as the food goes, hopefully we're going to figure out some of our favorite meats to throw on a grill and, and let fire touch meat and see what happens. <laughs> I can hear Tim the Toolman Taylor in the background somewhere there. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> awesome, man. So yeah, you you've uh you've done solar. We've talked about batteries, we've talked about field day, and uh again, just encourage folks. You know, I I, I kinda hope to to bring new people into the audience here, new new licensees or folks considering the hobby as more than just a way to talk to your buddy the next state over if the power goes out one day. And I think field day is an excellent opportunity for folks to uh G O T A, get on the air. And a lot of a lot of places who will be hosting a field day event will have a go to station, and uh, that's a great opportunity for someone who's not licensed, uh, but maybe has had their inner nerd come out, and they want to uh, to understand. Well, you never necessarily understand the magic of radio, but to get to experience the magic of radio, and that's one of my favorite things. Is is I understand how it works, but I am consistently and constantly enamored by the fact that I've got a little wire eight foot up in the tree that's about 76 feet long and I've talked to a an operator in Japan with a hundred watts uh, it just astounds me yeah I mean that that is really magical and what's funny is I, I've been trying forever to get my wife interested and I would say hey, look honey I can talk to Japan and she holds out her <laughs> smartphone and points and goes to something.co.jp and says look so can I and I said yeah but when I do it, I don't need 52 countries and companies and people telling me how to make it happen. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's a magical thing. And uh, for those of you that are listening and have an interest in the hobby, make sure you check out the show notes. We'll have links there uh, to, to Jeremy's work on his, uh, his YouTube channel. Again, it's KF7IJZ. That means that Z equals Z for those who may not know. Uh, it's also a contester's way to say the letter Z, and it doesn't it's, it doesn't get confused with Charlie C. So which is <laughs> one which is which is the first letter of my suffix. But uh, I am Kale K4CDN, and here in the Upstate of South Carolina, Jeremy's just across the state line in North Carolina right now, although he resides a little further north and a little closer to our great uncle in the uh, the metropolitan area there. Jeremy, man, thanks for being a part of FOTIME. This is episode two, and, and I'm really tickled to have you on the show. And, and people may not uh, on the West Coast know what that means, but that means I'm excited to have you be a part of the show here. 
And uh, you see, see, you knew exactly what I was talking about. I mean, it's just it's a Mason Dixon line thing there. And um, I have to remember that there may be someone in a, an a, another part of the country listening to this thing, trying to figure out first. You know, they're trying to. It, it may take two or three times to go through this to even understand what I've said anyway. <laughs> I was going to say, how do you close caption a podcast? Yeah, you know, uh, I don't know. Maybe it may be better for the. Uh, I, I I I don't well. Yeah, how would you close caption y'all? Would you put the apostrophe <laughs> before or after the A? But anyway, Jeremy, man, I really, really enjoy the time with you here on the on the Photon Podcast. Sponsored by our great friends, Main Trading Company down in Paris, Texas, Christy and Richard, um, just doing a great job. Christy, actually, you guys, and I don't think I've said this yet on, on the show, but Christy from Main Trading Company is the intro and outro voice of the show. And uh, she's got a phenomenal working radio voice. So if anyone out there is listening and broadcasting and you're needing someone to do some great vocal work that doesn't sound like me, you need to check Christy Lenore at mtcradio.com. And they're also a phenomenal place to go for new and used gear. But uh, we'll get back to Jeremy. Man, uh, we want to have you back on the program. We want to get you back in here and talk some more about the uh, the solar options the solar solutions you're developing along with the batteries which just totally intrigued me although you burst my bubble with the with the pricing on them but i guess if you're going to pay are you going to play you have to pay yeah or you know there's a lot of things we have to remember too that uh at the end of the day, maybe I don't even need to keep, uh, depending on the scenario you're preparing for, maybe I don't even keep a battery on me, and maybe what I do is keep a jumper with a couple of alligator clamps and some power poles on it. I mean, um, part of operating portable is being, um, well, I can't remember I can't remember the word, part of operating portable is uh, being resourceful and uh, making the best of what's around you and, and really thinking about what you have. And I mean, that's the same thing that hams have to think of when we do antennas out in the field, um, and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, it, it's it's an aspect of the hobby that just kind of captured me, and I've, I've really run with it, and I've been surprised at how deep I've been able to go. Um, but, no, I, I, I really appreciate the opportunity uh, to be here with you guys today, and I uh, really look forward to coming back. And, uh, you know, definitely check out my channel. Um, if you guys have questions, leave comments in the videos or send me a message on YouTube. I'm actually very uh, very responsive to the folks who, who write me. And... Uh, I'm just saying we're 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 nearing a thousand subscribers, and there may or may not be a giveaway when as we reach towards the thousand subscriber. Wow, wow! So we need subscribers here. You need subscribers there, and they can find all the contact information in the show notes for this episode, episode two, which uh, was a horrible, horrible film. I'm still scarred by that. <laughs> maybe the maybe this podcast hasn't been as bad as. Uh, as bad as George's second attempt there to totally screw up what he had built so wonderfully in the 70s. See, His name's you know Jeremy. <laughs> His you know, you know, I, I, sorry, I want, to respond, I want to respond to that. So um, my daughter is uh, 18 months old, and we recently uh, went on a trip back home to Kentucky to see family. And uh, we took along the Star Wars movies. So I'm, I'm trying to indoctrinate her, her early. Like, she will already <laughs> walk around and say, she won't say Chewbacca, she says Baca and... Ah. and uh, and Yoba, Yoba, ah. so for Yoda. But anyway, so we, we had those things playing on the 12-hour car ride. And wow. at the end of it, I kind of forgave George Lucas a little bit. Really? Because while the movies were absolutely and, and terrible and worthless, 
I realized that if you really stop and watch them in very quick succession, you get what he was trying to do or what he might have been trying to do. And actually, I thought that was a little bit cool. But you're right. The execution needed some work. Yeah. Yeah. I think that Anakin just totally blew it. You know, everybody oh, yeah. else was good. Yeah. They just picked yeah. the wrong dude. And, and, and going back real quick about your daughter, uh, my, my youngest currently, I've got number six coming, but number five is just a little over two. And she came through the kitchen today as I was preparing lunch. And she was humming, I guess is what you would call it, the uh, Darth Vader theme song. It was amazing. <laughs> and I that's knew awesome. it was like, it could have been one of those, you know, one of those internet things that says winning. You know, that's it was like one of those moments, a winning <laughs> moment. Winning, W-I-N-N-I-N-G, because I know I'm not saying it correctly for some folks. But uh, that was just, that was really cool. So, yeah, you know, it starts early. And it doesn't it doesn't really help that her older brothers are just you know, immersed in the Lego Star Wars universe right now. So, yep. Hey, and you know fun. what really the lesson here is, uh, you know, for Star Wars or for radio, get your kids involved early. Absolutely. You know, when, yep. when you're sitting there twiddling knobs or playing with the soldering iron and they're tugging at your leg and saying, you know, mommy, daddy, what are you doing? You make sure to pull them up on your knee and you explain it to them because they're the, uh, they're the future. Exactly, exactly. And our, our former guest mentioned the same thing. And speaking of, I believe it's July the 22nd, go ahead and plug it here, is the actual field day, uh, I'm sorry, kids day on the air for the ARL kids day in the summertime. I believe it's July the 21st because my kids always participate. They love it. And uh, my, my eldest is 11 and he's really thinking about getting his license and all of his his cousins and friends have cell phones. And I said, well, you know, once you get licensed, I'll buy you a walkie-talkie, and you won't even have to have a cell phone. So <laughs> talk around the world without wires or $50 a month paying. So, man, Jeremy, thanks for, thanks for stopping by. It's been a great, been a great time, and uh, we're going to definitely have you back on really, really soon. like to have you be a part here of the Photon Podcast as a regular. And, folks, thank you for listening. It's been a lot of fun, and until next time, we'll, uh, we'll see you then. Thank you, Jeremy. All right, thank you, Cal. Next time I'm on, I'll let you know what, uh, what we ate for field day. And that'll wrap our interview with Jeremy. Remember, Kilo Foxtrot 7, India Juliet Z. You can find his YouTube channel at his call sign, which is, again, Kilo Foxtrot 7, India Juliet Z. A lot of cool solar power stuff there for ham radio operators. We're going to close out the show tonight with another call. We've got Chris, variable 556, with why he became a ham. Thank you so much, guys, for listening to the Photime Podcast. I started in ham as a tech back in the 90s. My brother got me into it, and I was in, interested in it sort of as a, I don't know, a local prep type survivalist kind of thing. That wasn't really big back then, but I was always into it being from a military background. And a couple of years ago, I upgraded to general, and I'm getting ready to get on the air on HF. For, I want to expand my reach. I'm interested in it for not so much for a rag chewing, but just to develop the capability to communicate long distance in emergencies and want to know what's going on in the world possibly for information gathering i wish you luck with your podcast i checked out your site hope you do well sir 73 this is chris variable 556 thanks for downloading listening and subscribing to amateurradio15.com presents Bowtime, the other ham radio podcast you can find our past episodes, web links, and more at AmateurRadio15.com. That's AmateurRadio15.com. 
Follow us on Twitter at Photon Podcast. And remember to visit our show sponsor, Main Trading Company, at mtcradio.com. Till next time, 73s.